You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Correcting faults and correcting failings among the brethren takes spiritual people who are moving in the spirit of the Lord. So who is spiritual? Who is spiritual? What does the Bible consider to be spiritual? It is that person he described in chapter five, the one that exhibits the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering with people, gentle, kind, faithful, In your walk with Christ, have you been diligent about using your gifts for the Lord? It's one thing to have gifts and talents from God, but it's a whole other thing to use them for His glory. Today, Pastor Jeff illustrates the importance of living a life centered in the glories of God. When you put your focus on using your gifts rather than just having them, it doesn't matter how blessed you might be in something. It won't matter unless you choose to give it all to God. Sacrifice yourself daily at the feet of Jesus. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Ministry of Restoration. Just recapping a little bit, in chapter 5, we looked at the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit by dividing them into three categories. Three categories. The first three, what were they? Love, joy, and peace. How many of you wish you had more of all three of those? And what we call them, those are the emotional fruits of the Spirit. Those are the ones you feel emotionally. I love you, or I got joy, or peace. I love peace, don't you? The older I get, the quieter I like it. Amen? I need to quit saying things like that. I'm aging myself. But anyway, now the second three, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. Those are the evidential fruits of the Spirit. What we mean by that is, if you're saved, there should be evidence. There should be evidence. It should show. You don't get saved and go live like the devil. God changes you. There's evidence. Well, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness are evidential. They are evidence that you have had an experience with God or that you're growing in the Spirit. Because patience or long-suffering doesn't come naturally to anybody. We want patience now. Right? Kindness, I don't think, comes naturally. And goodness, especially in our day, people just aren't kind. Not like they used to be. And the last three, faith, gentleness, and temperance, which is self-control, are the elemental fruits of the Spirit, meaning uh, that this is elementary, dear Watson, that if you're saved... The foundation of salvation is faith, gentleness, and self-control. It's, it's elemental. These are the basics. These are the things we ought to be experiencing in our spiritual growth. It, it's not faith that moves mountains. Remember, it's faithfulness, loyalty, uh, dependability, faithfulness. That's really what that word faith there is referring to, faithfulness instead of being a covenant breaker, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Bible says if you can't control yourself, uh, your emotions, just who you are, then, then you're uh, worse than a city that is broken down and without walls. The enemy just comes and goes if you don't have self-control. So we need self-control. Now, the law of Moses that Paul mentions so often in Galatians is powerless to produce those nine fruits. 
You don't produce those fruits by law. How are they produced? They grow within the heart of the believer only by a daily abiding in Christ Jesus through prayer, the word, and a life of obedience. That's it. We grow those spiritual fruits by abiding in the vine. That's it. So every day, what's our job? Plug in to that vine. That's it. You're only as strong as your last time with God. And you can't live on last year's revelation. You can't live on a a touch you had from God 10 years ago. We need one every day. And so I know I'm a broken record with this, but if you want to grow spiritually, then you've got to abide in that vine who is Jesus Christ and do it daily. And you do it by the holy habits. The holy habits are prayer, time in the word and fellowship with the saints of God. You can't fellowship with a TV screen. People say, well, you know what? I'm just too tired. I'm just going to stay home and watch Christian TV. Well, you know what? If I can't get to church, I'll do that. If I can find something I want to listen to. But otherwise, I should be at church where there's people with skin on them. Because I cannot fellowship with a TV screen. The TV screen can't say, how you doing? A TV screen can't reach their hands through and, and pray with me. Okay? So we need one another. We need to one another one another. Right? Now, uh, so if you're going to grow spiritually, it's this simple. You must abide in the vine. You do it by holy habits. The holy habits are prayer, time in the word, and fellowship with the saints. Holy habits. That's it. Now, in chapter 6, Paul focuses on the backslider. And the love the believer is called to exercise toward them. Now, how many of you know that Christians can backslide? I would ask you if any of you have ever backslid, but I don't want to see those hands. That's none of my business. That's between you and God. But in Galatians 6, after talking about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, he now tells us how to deal in love with somebody who slips and falls. This is not an apostate. This is a backslider. It's not somebody who renounces the faith. Is somebody who, for whatever reason, drifts away, falls into some kind of sin, and gets out of fellowship with God and with his people. The backslider. Now, here it is in verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, do what? Condemn such a one. Oh, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. Let's start over. You who are spiritual, reject such a one. I can't see that good up there restore. Isn't that what it says? Because carnal people do the first two. They condemn and they reject. But he said, if you want to be considered spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. The King James says meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. that's, That's really one of the key verses for any counselor. But now let's move on. The word Overtaken when he says, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, the word overtaken comes from a Greek word meaning to be found out or detected. So the jig is up. What you were hiding comes out. It's discovered. It's detected. It's brought to the light publicly. It can also mean a brother or sister is, uh, well, okay, publicly exposed as being in some sin. Or it can also mean that the person was themselves caught off guard by a trespass. You know, the word offense, 
when it talks about somebody being offended, it means a person who trips, they stumble. And I have talked to people who have backslidden or have gotten caught up in something that was certainly not of God in their life. And I have seen that they themselves are shocked that they ended up there, that this happened to them. They're caught off guard. They're stunned. How, how did I end up there? You, you never could have convinced me I could have gone there. I'm, I'm overtaken. I, I am, I'm as shocked as you are. And this happens to people. It really does. And, and they, they find themselves in something that later they'll tell you, of all people, I am most surprised that I ended up in that position. Now, the word trespass, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, it means a falling aside. It's used to describe a breach of God's law or a moral fall or a falling away from the truth. Trespass. Now, in the context of Galatians and everything we've learned in Galatians, no doubt about it, it's talking about the works of the flesh. Because he gives us that whole ugly list of the works of the flesh. So there's no question this is on his mind when he writes about falling in a trespass. The works of the flesh. Whether moral or doctrinal, some kind of fall is envisioned here. This person falls flat on their face. And the word restore is katartidzo. Katartidzo. And it's the same word used to describe James and John mending their nets. What does it say that we're to do? We're to restore like James and John were mending the net. When Jesus approached them and called them, Peter was casting the net, but John was mending the net. And that's the way their ministries ended up. Peter the net caster, John the net mender. We need both in church. We need net casters and we need net menders. But the spiritual people, are supposed to see people with, as it were, torn or ripped or damaged nets. Their souls are damaged. They are not what they should be. Instead of condemning them or going up to them and ripping the net worse, those who are spiritual are to go up and mend the net. It's also used to describe God's creativity, katartidzo. Uh, it says in Hebrews 11.3, and I love this because this totally kicks evolution right out the door. It says, let's read it together. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, katartidzo, there you go, prepared, put together, assimilated, assembled by the word of God, not evolution. So first you have the idea of mending, then you have the, the idea of putting something together, assembling it, the way it was meant to be, in a divine order. And then the Greeks used the word to describe the action of a physician healing a broken bone, katartidzo. Such a procedure called for knowledge, skill, and care. It was not a task for just anybody. Mishandling of a fracture could make it worse. So Paul declares, if you're going to go and fix somebody's broken bone, if you're going to mend the net of their soul, if you're going to help assemble them in divine order, you're going to have to be spiritual and mature and walking in the right spirit. Or you'll rip the net worse or, or set the bone wrong 
or put them together in a way that God never intended. So correcting faults and correcting failings among the brethren takes spiritual people who are moving in the spirit of the Lord. So who is spiritual? Who is spiritual? What does the Bible consider to be spiritual? It is that person he described in chapter 5. The one that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering with people, gentle, kind, faithful, Jesus-like, Christ-like, not finger-pointers and condemners and lecturers and stompers and kickers and none of that, okay? But... Spiritual. That's what spiritual people are. It's not the gifts they move in. It's the fruit they manifest. Because I've seen people move in the gifts who were hellacious to be around. Not like Jesus at all. Tongues don't make you spiritual. Laying hands on somebody who's sick and seeing them healed does not make you spiritual. What makes you a spiritual person is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. And against such there is no law. Now, restoration comes as the restorer or the restoring one operates on them with love and compassion, calmly with gentleness. You got to think of the Good Samaritan. I think Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan so that we would know how to pick somebody up who had fallen. I really do. Because you think about that story. We've all heard of it. It's one of his, his most uh, famous parables. Remember that story? He, he pours oil and wine. The, the Good Samaritan sees the man beaten up and robbed and left on the side of the road dying. Now think for a minute, the devil beats you up, leaves you on the side of the road, bleeding and dying, doesn't he? So the the robber is a Satan-like person. The good Samaritan sees them. Everybody else has passed them by. That's the main thing. All the religious people in Jesus' parable had looked and sort of harumphed and walked on and passed them by and didn't lift a finger to help the bleeding, destroyed person on the side of the road. But then came the Good Samaritan. He pours in oil and wine, a picture of the Holy Ghost, a picture of the love of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Oil is always a picture of the Holy Spirit that burns in the lamp. That's the Holy Spirit. Pours it into the open wound, oil to soothe and wine to cleanse. He picks up that fallen one then, surrounds him with love, is not afraid of the cost that is going to be required to get him restored. Are y'all with me? This moves me as I'm sharing it right now. This good Samaritan is the way that every member of the body of Christ is supposed to be towards the fallen. He picks up that fallen one, surrounds him with love. He's not afraid of what's going to cost him. He provides out of his own pocket for his continual care. And there you have the picture of the, takes him to a hotel and pays for his room and ministers to him until he's on his feet again. Far too often, the fallen in the church are treated like lepers. Now I'm going to say that again. Far too often, I've seen it over and over again, the fallen are treated like lepers by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when our Savior gave us the perfect picture in the story of the Good Samaritan how to treat the fallen how to treat the hurt, how to treat the bleeding, how to minister to the one that's down. Even the world doesn't shoot its own that are found wounded on the battlefield. Can you imagine being in, in, a, uh, in an army 
and you're meeting another army, your enemy in a field, and a bullet wings you in the arm and you fall down, can you imagine one of your own army coming up and saying, man, you got hit. Why'd you let yourself get hit? How could you let yourself, this happen to you, bloom. But I'm going to tell you, I've been on the receiving end of that, and it is vicious, and it is painful. And I told myself, I will never do anyone that way. Because when you're fallen, when you're down, when you're shot, you need a good Samaritan. You need Jesus coming up and going, let me pour in the Holy Spirit. Let me pour in the cleansing wine. Let me get you on your feet. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what lengths I've got to go. You are worth restoring. You are worth getting back in the race. You are worth, because you're a valuable soldier. So whatever it costs me, I'm going to pay it to get you restored. And I've seen many through the years treated the same way. And it's a, it's a sad thing because, um, like I said, even the secular lost world doesn't do that. The church does too often. It's one of the great shortcomings and the glaring faults of the body of Christ. No doubt, Paul has in mind those that had already fallen prey to the false teachers. The whole book of Galatians is about those false teachers that came into the church and they were luring and seducing and deceiving uh, Paul's spiritual children back into Judaism. And many of them had fallen into it. So there's no doubt about it that they were now seeing their mistake and they were wounded on the side of the road because they had believed doctrinal error. Their relationship with Jesus had been hindered or hurt or cut off altogether. And Paul is now telling the truly spiritual people, don't you dare kick the ones out who believe those lies. Don't you dare treat them carnally. I want you to do with them what the good Samaritan did. You restore them. Every one of them are worth restoring. Church, there's not a child of God that's not worth restoring. I mean, there's not one. And you know what? I don't know of a child of God that's ever fallen that did not hate it deep in their innermost, innermost hate that they fell. Would do anything to reverse it. They're not sitting there going, all right, good deal. You know, I, I, I fell, I'm in sin now, I'm loving this. No, they hate every microsecond of it. But they know they're fallen. They need restorers, not elder brothers. Remember the elder brother in the prodigal son? Prodigal son goes off into sin. I love Jesus' parables. The prodigal son goes off into sin, spends all of his inheritance on prostitutes and crazy wild living, comes to himself and says, what in the world have I been doing? I lost my mind. He says, I'm going home, but I know the father isn't going to receive me as a son, but I'll just tell him I'm willing to be a servant because even the servants have it better than I have it in this pig pen. So he gets this speech in his head. He's ready to give his speech to the father. The father sees him coming from a distance, has been waiting for him the whole time, has not one time disowned him as a son. I'm going to say it again, has not one time disowned him as a son. Didn't say, well, I disowned you, but since you're repenting, you're back again. You're unborn, then born, unborn, then born, unborn, then born, lost, then found, lost, then found. I'm lost this week, found the next week. No, I never disowned you. I knew you would come to this. I knew what was in the far country. I knew it would eat you alive. I knew that it would destroy you and 
that you'd end up in the equivalent of a pig pen, eating pig food, remembering the way you had it. I was just waiting on you because some things you need to come to yourself. No one can tell you. You've got to find out yourself. So I've been waiting, looking at the horizon for you to return. I knew you'd be back. He didn't even get his speech out. He didn't even get a chance to say all that he had in his mind. He said, bring the fatted calf, put shoes on his feet, put a ring on his finger, put a robe of righteousness back on him. For this, my son, who was lost, is now found. Now, amen. That's the prodigal son. So in the same way the prodigal came to himself, these people in Galatia, these saints who had been won to Christ by Paul were seeing their mistake. And they needed the gentle hand of restoration, not the slap of condemnation. The apostle urges, don't discard them. Don't reject them. Don't turn them aside. Rather, you who are spiritual, say it with me, everybody, restore them. You who are spiritual must undertake the task of correcting faults and failings among the brethren. Now, the restoration, says Paul, must be done in a spirit of meekness. Now, how come? Why do he say you better restore in meekness and gentleness, watching yourself, considering yourself? Well, it's because meekness, that fruit of the Spirit, is the very best in dealing with the fallen. It's disarming. It carries with it no sense of blame. It doesn't lecture. Don't you hate being lectured? It doesn't lecture. It doesn't need to lecture. The reproofs and the consequences of their sin is lecturing them every day. It doesn't express disgust. It's keenly aware of how easy it is for anyone to fall. The person walking in meekness will be considering himself lest, lest he too be tempted. Very important here. The word for consider, considering yourself, is skopeo. Skopeo. And it refers primarily to a watchman, and it means scope. You see the word scope in there? You're scoping yourself out. You're, you're, you're checking your own heart out because you don't want to go counsel somebody and try to take the speck out of their eye when there's a two-by-four in your own eye. You can't have the same thing in your own life and operate on somebody else's. I'm not going to let an ophthalmologist touch my eye who, who's got a big patch on his own eye. But a lot of Christians, they live in, you know, the same thing they condemn others for. So he's saying the idea is that the one doing the restoring must be ever mindful of his own frailty because temptation lurks in the path of all of us. How many of you know you could fall? Boy, I wish I'd have seen every hand. Not me, Pastor Jeff. I've been walking with God for 40 years. Oh, watch it, brother. Hey, one day at a time, sweet Jesus, one day at a time. Amen? How often have we heard of a would-be counselor who has fallen into the very sin from which he has been seeking to rescue somebody else? Paul then uses the illustration of a burden bearer. In verse 2, after talking about restoration, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. 
the law of Christ is the all-encompassing law of love. As a Christian, have you ever felt bogged down by the oppression of the world? Have you ever tried your best to love the world like Jesus did, but found yourself letting the world's pain get to you? In today's message, Pastor Jeff taught us what to do when we're feeling the oppression of the world. Instead of letting things get to your head, turn your gaze to heaven and let the example that Jesus set be your guide. Always seek after His glory and be saved. If you're interested in learning about Hardwired, Diane has some things to share. For more teachings and information about this ministry, we encourage you to check out hardwired.org. Pastor Jeff Wickwire has many more messages there. You'll find them under the audio tab. This will surely help you be encouraged in the Word. Once again, that's hardwired.org. We want to invite you to come back again next time for another teaching from Pastor Jeff. Daniel has more on that, giving you something to look forward to. Next time, Pastor Jeff illustrates the true meaning of sacrificing yourself to the Lord. It's not enough to be lukewarm. You must choose every day to sacrifice all of yourself for the sake of God's kingdom. Never lose your vigor for the cross and be an agent of change for the gospel. There's nothing more important in this life than setting the example and sharing God's love everywhere you go. Accept the Great Commission and set the world on fire in the name of Jesus. There's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of Galatians, so be sure to join us again. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we could be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwired. Hardwired.